Sometimes I like to imagine the world after us, the strange mammals that will emerge, the abundance of biodiverse plant life taking over our fields and factories and so on. I don't think this world will be better. I maintain that we are the most interesting thing to happen on Earth, and there is real beauty and meaning in our curiosity and compassion, even as we also cause and witness so much suffering. But at any rate, there will be a world after us, after each of us. And that's why there's life insurance. It exists to provide a financial safety net to those who love and count on you. Policy Genius's technology makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from America's top insurers in just a few clicks to find your lowest price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Policy Genius. Because there will be a world without us. Welcome to Dear Hank and John. Or as I prefer to think of it, Dear John and Hank. It's a podcast where two brothers answer your questions, give you dubious advice, and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. John, yeah. you know how there are like a bunch of new like meatless meat companies that have been popping up? Sure, Impossible Burgers. Yeah, Impossible Burgers. There's, I, I, there's others that I've also heard of. I'm excited about it. I think it's a growth industry. I think it's wonderful. But what I haven't seen and what I want to do is potatoless potatoes. Are you ready for my new potatoless potato company? It's called Imitators. <laughs> I mean that that was a tortuous path to get to a pretty poor punchline. I think it's not a punchline, John. It's a brand. <laughs> No, it's not. What is it made out of? I mean, of all, this is one of the worst ideas you've ever had, which is really saying something. It's like made out of something that's like potatoes, but not quite as good. Lab-grown potatoes. I don't know. What's the problem we're solving here? I don't actually know because potatoes are pretty wonderful. Yeah. No, they're a game changer. It's true. When I look at human history, what I really see is... Potato history. The rise of the potato and corn. And chickens. And then humans kind of are an afterthought. Hmm. I think you've, got, you've poked a really good hole in my business model, John, which is that potatoes are really great. In news of what I would have tweeted this week, Hank, I would have tweeted, thank God for the Women's World Cup, because otherwise I would be absolutely hopeless about absolutely everything. <laughs> this is what we miss from you on Twitter, John. I miss it. Well, I'll tell, I'll tell you what, I'm loving the Women's World Cup. The rest of the human experiment, yeah. <laughs> Already oh this year in the Women's World Cup, we've had some stunning come-from-behind victories. We've had upsets. We've had really just wonderful 
the speed of play, the quality, the competition has never been better. I am loving it. I'm very excited for you, John. Both the Women's World Cup is happening and that you're enjoying it and that you have created a new time to talk about sports on the podcast. <laughs> well, Hank, as I get older, I find that the only things I'm really interested in are gardening <laughs> and sports. <laughs> okay. I'm looking forward to that happening to me as I also approach your advanced age. Let's answer some questions from our listeners. This first one comes from Oren, who writes, Dear John and Hank, I'm six foot two. Mm -hmm. For those of you who don't live in the United States, that's three meters tall. And today <laughs> I was at a play when the woman behind me tapped my shoulder and said, I'm sorry to say this, but you're rather tall. <laughs> I mumbled and said, I'm sorry, and then turned around, sure. and then I vaguely heard her say some stuff behind me, but too quietly for me to make it out. Should oh I have my. been, like, ducking down for the entire play? Also, note that I'm probably not yet done growing, so I anticipate facing this problem many times over. Any dubious advice is appreciated, Oren. I mean, I'm sorry to say this, but you're rather tall. Come on. This is not the correct thing to do. Yeah. I mean, I understand that it's an inconvenience to be seated behind a rather tall person at a play, mm -hmm. but you don't solve for the problem by pointing out to the tall person that they are tall. Hello. I just want I just I'm sorry to say this, but you are the problem. Yes. Is what I've heard. Yes. You are in the way of my enjoyment of this play, and I wish that you didn't exist. Exist. Oh, okay. Well, thank you. You're welcome. I still I have to sit here or or I can't see the play. You wanna you wanna swapsies? You want like you wanna come sit next to my girlfriend? Like what's happening? Orin, the only solution to this is that you have to sit in the back row right. of everything for the rest of your life. And that's what Andre the Giant did. Did he really? Actually, is that true? He talked he talked about this in interviews that he would always sit in the back row in theaters. Are you making that up? No, I'm not. He's a, oh. he is a beautiful man. A beautiful and tragic figure. Yeah. Wow. I was in a similar situation and unlike Andre the Giant, here's what I did. I was at a concert and the man who's standing behind me pushed me. Yeah. And then I turned around. I didn't say this, but I like looked at him and I was like, did you just push me? Like, that's not something that happens. And then I like went back and stood where I was standing. And then he pushed me again, sort of gently, but forcefully. Yeah. And then I turned around. I was at a rock show, you know, so I'm a little amped up and I like come at him and I sort of lean down to him because I am obviously taller than him. And as I'm approaching his ear, I'm like, eh, I don't actually want to go to the police station today. And I whisper into his ear, I'm very sorry I inconvenienced you. And then I walked away. <laughs> That's my story, John. What a, gr what a great story. <laughs> uh, At least so it was short. <laughs> no, it wasn't. <laughs> so, Orin, what I'm trying to say is slump. Because it's comfy anyway. No. Just get I, slump on. I, Just slump on down. I think that all you can say in that situation is, I'm sorry, there's not a lot I can do about my height. Yeah. And so you throw it back on them and you make it clear <laughs> to them that, like, this isn't really up to you, you know? Right. You didn't ask at the age of 12 to be six foot two, right? Maybe you did. Maybe you like blew out your birthday candles and you were like, I wish I was a little bit taller. I wish I was a baller. And uh, I mean, that's a reference that a tiny sliver of our audience <laughs> is going to get. But I think there's nothing wrong with slurping if you're a tall person in a theater. I slurp and I'm not ashamed. What is slurping? 
So like, you know, I like when you slump, you're like leaning forward. Yeah. Slurping is like when you're leaning backward, but slumping. Oh. You're just like sliding your butt forward and like your lower back becomes the joint. Yeah. Between your like top half and bottom half. Yeah, I'm doing that right now. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I didn't know there was a word for that. I made it up on my other podcast, Delete This. Oh. I should listen. This next question comes from Shoshana, who asks, Dear John and Hank, a friend of mine recently wrote a book. Most of the characters in the book are pretty clearly based on real-life people. Mm. The thing is, most of the characters, including the one based on me, are not very likable. Mm. I know that my friend doesn't mean to insult me, but I still feel weird and self-conscious reading about a version of myself whose worst qualities, at least uh, what my friend feels are my worst qualities, have been exaggerated. As people who know people who have written books and so have possibly been in a similar situation, how do you think I should react to this? Best wishes, Shoshana. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. I think, uh, oof. I've had this happen to me. Has this has happened to you? Uh, kinda. Oof. A friend of mine wrote a book about, like, the young adult literature scene and oh yeah 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 i've read this book (laughs) i I mean it's not exactly me but it's pretty narrowly based on me yep i remember reading it and being like this is weird (laughs) yeah well my friend sent it to me and he was like you know you're you're gonna recognize this one character and i just want to give you a heads up and if you have any concerns let me know kind of thing Mm -hmm. and i mean i thought it was hilarious Like, I, yeah, it didn't it didn't really rub me the wrong way. It was just strange. Yeah, I didn't come I didn't come off that badly. And when I did come off badly, I was like, yeah, I mean, <laughs> burn accepted. <laughs> so, it's in this situation, this is a this is a person who's written a lot and like also they talked to you about it beforehand, which is nice. Yeah. I mean, and this does not seem to happen with Shoshana. No, this character was broadly likable or at least sympathetic. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing. If you're going to write a novel, you need to love your characters and you need to see their essential humanity. They don't have to always be likable. In fact, I think if they're realistic, they won't always be likable. But if you write characters that are just exaggerated versions of the things you don't like about your friends, it that feels really passive aggressive to me. It lacks a, a, a certain amount of emotional intelligence. Um, and, and then to be like, here, read my book, in which you clearly are, and not in a nice way. Oof. Yeah, I mean, I wrote about this in Turtles All the Way Down because I think it's something that young people do sometimes to try to communicate mm-hmm. their frustrations or to try to express their frustrations. It's not a good way. Yeah, I don't know what to do about that. Like, I don't know how to, how you have a conversation with someone about like, you did like you did a dumb here. It was this was silly and it was it hurt. Yeah, maybe uh, just give them turtles all the way down, which right. by the way is out in paperback today <laughs> in the United States, oh, and wow. tell them you know how Aza feels about Daisy's fan fiction. <laughs> dot dot dot. <laughs> uh, this is why I base all of my characters on me. <laughs> yeah, it's a hard thing to navigate because as a writer, you're always going to be borrowing from your experience and from people you know, you're always going to be writing, you know, some kind of coded autobiography. (laughs) I didn't always handle that well, and I I wish that I'd handled it differently early in my career, but I I don't think that you should be showing your work to people it's going to hurt. (laughs) Yeah, it seems weirdly passive-aggressive, like, hey, can you fix these things about yourself? Thanks. 
This next question comes from Avery, who asks, Dear Hank and John, I have an acquaintance at school, and our primary method of interaction is waving. The waves happen once or twice each day, usually in the morning and another when we both leave school. We've been doing this for months now, and we've only talked to each other once or twice. How can I advance this tentative relationship, or should our waves just continue indefinitely? Rhymes with wavery, Avery. I think you just you got to go one or two directions here. You either have to cease the wave, just don't wave one day and then they can be left thinking, what did I do to Avery? How did I, how have I lost our special bond? Or you need to like hang. You need to hang. I don't think that not waving is an option. I think Avery, this ends one of two ways. Oh gosh. Best friends or married. Or could it, could it be mortal enemies? Oh, I hadn't thought of that. Yeah. I mean, obviously. No, that's such like a plot author thing to do. <laughs> the character author thing to do is best friends are married, Avery. Right. You do definitely need to talk to this person. And I think a pretty good way to break the ice might be to say, hey, I noticed that we wave at each other every single day. Have you noticed that? <laughs> What do you uh like? Yeah. Hey, do you, are you interested in books? Did you know John Green's new book, Turtles All the Way Down, wow. just came out in no. paperback? <laughs> are you interested in stickers? Have you ever gone to DFTBA.com to shop for stickers? <laughs> we have a lot of great stickers. Do you like educational video? Because yeah. uh, you should really check out Crash Course. Do you like Marvels? Hank, we don't. I know that y you wish that we did, but we do not own the Marble Olympics. <laughs> I don't. Look, I feel a certain amount of ownership over the Marble Olympics. I don't need to profit from the Marble Olympics to want to promote it. In that case, Avery, why don't you pitch your new best friend on a third tier English <laughs> soccer team that's currently looking for crowdfunding <laughs> investment? Do you like English football? Do you, <laughs> you want to see the 72nd best club in England fly their trade every Saturday afternoon? Avery, you have to become friends with this person. And also, in five years, you have to invite us to your wedding and or best friends forever ceremony. Speaking of which, Hank, mm. I think that we as a culture need to develop a best friends forever ceremony, mm. like a, an actual way of cementing BFFness mm -hmm. semi-permanently. Right, where the whole community is involved and everyone recognizes your bond. Yes. Mm, that's a big commitment. Oh, I would love to do that with Chris. There's no <laughs> way Chris would do it with me, but I would love to do it with Chris. But what about Marina? I would have a Best Friends Forever ceremony with Chris and Marina. Okay. And Sarah and me would be on the other side. Mm -hmm. And we would like exchange vows about how we're always going to be best friends no matter what until death. Yeah. I vow to watch silly movies with you on Netflix. Netflix and raise our children together nearby. Yeah, it's more the second thing than the first thing. <laughs> you don't watch silly movies together on Netflix. That's how I know that your kids are young. Our kids stay up almost as late as we do. Oh, right. Ah, that sounds rough. Yeah, it's all it's all coming for you, Hank. Don't worry. This next question comes from Sarah, who writes, Dear John and Hank, I think my sister locked the back door with both locks. My parents are sleeping and their phones are off. It's dark outside. The mosquitoes are eating me. What should I do? There's no way in. There's no key to the second lock. Should I stay with the neighbors? Oh. There's a mouth on my leg, Wait, Sarah. Whoa. Like a mosquito's mouth. I assume so. And then five <laughs> minutes later, Sarah sent a follow-up email that read, in its entirety, I am shining a light on their window. 
<laughs> Which, by the way, Sarah, if I'd gotten that email in any other context, right, yeah. it would have been the scariest email I've ever received. Yeah, it's just like, we're done. We're done. We're out. We're no longer public figures. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I knew my retirement was coming. I just didn't know it was coming this soon. Goodbye, cruel world. It's all Sarah's fault. <laughs> Hank, has this ever happened to you? Uh, locked out with no way to get in. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. It happened to me several times when I was a child and uh, and I, I, I knew ways to get into my own house. Yeah, I think you always need a secret. Obviously, this isn't going to help Sarah now, uh-huh. but you always need a secret, secret way, mm-hmm. right? Like there's the straightforwardly secret way. There's the hidden key, whatever, whatever. But you need a backup secret way, like some window in the basement or something that's somehow accessible that only you know about. I had an experience like this that like could have resulted in, I'm laughing, but it seriously could have resulted in my death. (laughs) I was finishing Turtles All the Way Down alone in a rented cabin in Michigan in the winter. Nice. And there was a beautiful full moon over Lake Michigan. So I walked outside, heard the door slam behind me. I was barefoot. I was wearing like shorts and a t-shirt. It was probably 45 degrees. And I immediately recognized that I was locked out. Mm -hmm. And not only was I locked out, when I looked around, there were no lights on Mm -hmm. because it's a very seasonal community and the season is not like January 8th. Mm -hmm. So what I did, Hank, was I got in the hot tub. (laughs) That's That's the worst thing you could do. You got wet. I got in the hot tub. You can't stay in the hot tub forever. No, I got in the hot tub just to have myself a think, you know, like, (laughs) okay. But you're absolutely right. Don't obviously, Sarah, whatever you do, don't get in the hot tub, because then in addition to being cold and outside, you're wet, which is a disaster. I'm not Bear Mm. Grylls. okay? that's definitely I'm not a survivalist, as evidenced by the fact that I was renting a cabin with a hot tub. (laughs) I got in the hot tub. I had a long, warm think about what I should do. And I was like, I mean, I guess I could just like run along the road until (laughs) I see someone. Wet. But then I realized Mm -hmm. that I had my Apple Watch. Okay. And so I called Sarah on my watch. And I said, Sarah, I'm locked out of the house and I think I might die here in the hot tub. (laughs) I don't know if I can spend the night in the hot tub. I don't know if I can make it to dawn. And she said, have you tried the front door? And I said, no. And it opened. Oh, my God. Wow. What a great twist there at the end. (laughs) Once again, John was just being a doofus. Like that time you lost your hat and you were so freaking out about your hat. And then it was just like you were sitting on it or something. Yeah, I was sitting on it the whole flight across Europe. I... Did a similar thing, except it was at a hotel in Amsterdam. I went outside to take a time-lapse photo. I snuck out of the hotel through a side door, and the door didn't even have a handle on the outside. It was like, you are not allowed to come in this way. Wow. And so I had to, like, scale the side of the hotel a little bit to get to a public area. Oh, God, that's scary. Don't, Sarah, in addition to not doing what I did, don't do what Hank did. God, both of us are disastrous. Well, that's what I had to do when I was in high school. 
school is I had to, I like had to climb up a wall and that from there I could jump to the roof and from there I could walk to my window and get in through my window. Yeah, I remember that strategy for getting back into the house. I also used it. It was also how I got out of yeah, the house. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you never want your house to be a prison. Don't sneak out of your house, kids. Don't sneak out of your house. Don't get in the hot tub when you're lost. <laughs> and don't try to scale a wall unless you have a lot of experience scaling it. It's three o'clock in the morning and you really need to get back inside or your parents are going to be super mad at you. John, we have another question. It's important to get to. It's from Ellie who asks, Dear Hank and John, I recently brought home my first giant African land snail and after about a day, it has pooped a few times. Where does the poop come from? Does it come out of their mouth? I'm so confused. I bet I could Google this, but it's more fun to ask you, DFTBA Ellie. First of all, I love that you recently brought home a giant African land snail, and I love that you mentioned that it is just your first. Yeah. There are many more to come. Oh, yeah. John, yes. have you seen what a giant African land snail looks like? Only because of Google images. Okay, good. I guess my initial feeling, having Googled it, is that when I was promised that it was going to be giant, a giant mm -hmm. African land snail, yep. I was a little suspicious. Yeah. You know, like, what's a giant snail? And the answer is that there's no way that what you're imagining is as big as an actual giant African land snail. They are huge. They are, <laughs> dare I say it, dog-sized. There are dogs that are smaller than this. For sure. It's a big snail. I feel like you've taken on a great deal of responsibility here, Ellie. How long do these things live? Probably forever. I don't... <laughs> <laughs> yes, they were all around at the birth of the earth and they're still here. Actually, the first Google autofill after giant African land snail is lifespan. The second is care. The third is for sale. <laughs> 10 years. They live for 10 years. 10 years, John. Like a dog. Yeah. In, in both form and lifespan. Oh, and they're dangerous. Oh, what? They're dangerous. Yeah, they're illegal in the continental U.S. because they're highly invasive, can cause extensive damage to important food crops and other agricultural and natural resources, and they pose a risk to human health. Congratulations on your land snail. Ellie, where are you? Do you know you have an illegal snail? <laughs> this... You're a you're a you're a, a snail criminal. <laughs> Ellie, like you need to write us back and let us know if you're a criminal. But but first, I guess we'll just say. Oh my God! It can cause a form of meningitis. I, <laughs> Ellie, I don't like this purchase at all. Keep your snail clean and also your self, and keep that snail poop away from you. You should know where the poop comes from so you can avoid it. You know a sentence that I never want to see uh -huh. when it comes to my pets? Sure. And this is from the sprucepets.com, America's leading resource for pet-related information. Mm -hmm. Fortunately, they are not carnivores. <laughs> <laughs> because if they were, they would eat your arm. Yeah, all They right. would eat your arm while you slept. Hank, what do these things poop? Where do they poop out of? So snail anatomy is different from how we imagine the whole thing works. So their digestive system, weirdly enough, empties into their respiratory cavity, oh. which means that a snail poops out its breathing hole. Its mouth. So, which, no. So its mouth is what it eats with. Oh. We just happen to share a breathing and eating hole. 
So now the, that I think about it, that is weird. Yeah, well, it's not quite as weird as sharing a pooping and breathing hole, but like, you know, different strokes. And so a snail eats with its its like thing at the end of its head, and then it has a breathing hole on the back of its neck. Mm. And I know it sounds like I'm making that up, but I'm not. It's got a breathing hole on the back of its neck. It has to stick its body out uh, to breathe. I actually think that they can breathe with their head stuck in, but like you can see it when it's got its head sticking out of its shell. And then, yeah, the poop will come out of that breathing hole, which is wild. Cause like, I don't think, I guess they can't breathe while they're pooping, which it's nice that I can do that. I'm like, that's great. Be uncomfortable otherwise. Yeah. All things being equal. I, I'm, I prefer being a person. Ideally, uh-huh. I'm just going to throw this out there. You'd want like four or five different holes You'd want a breathing hole. Uh-huh. You'd want an eating hole. Uh-huh. You'd want a pooping hole. Yeah, yeah I, I would like to separate out all of these activities from. Well, we kind of do. Like you do, you have a separate breathing hole for for just breathing. But you, it's like the mouth is like a backup breathing hole. Oh, I forgot about the nose. <laughs> That's a great point, Hank. We do yeah. have we have two breathing holes. Yeah, we've got three. Oh, I know. Evolution. What this a great <laughs> job it's done yeah. with everything except for the giant African land snail. <laughs> I will say, John, that all of the things you said about giant African land snails are true of humans. Like, totally invasive species, definitely agricultural pests, also can give you meningitis. It's true. So, like, ah. We're the most invasive species. Oh, yes. We're everywhere. But also the most interesting. (laughs) I don't want to. I don't want to be overly speciesist, but I just uh-huh. don't think that the giant African land snail can can compete with us in terms of taking the materials of the universe and creating beauty which did not exist before. Absolutely, I will say that they 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 create beauty, but just their own selves. They're very pretty. I would not want one. So, Ellie, I hope that you've considered this purchase wisely and that you're not a snail criminal. Which reminds me that this podcast is brought to you by the Federal Bureau of Snail Crime Investigations. Watch out, Ellie. They're coming. Today's podcast is also brought to you by Turtles All the Way Down, available in bookstores everywhere now in a delightful paperback. I also have a book. This podcast is additionally brought to you by John Being a Doofus. It's, you know... Every podcast, we get a little bit, and it's a great little snack. And finally, today's podcast is brought to you by the BFF Ceremony. Mm. The BFF Ceremony, why not commit yourself to your best friend for life? Yeah, and have a party, too, where there's probably going to be barbecue. Or at least cake. And invite me. We also have a Project for Awesome message from Emmy to Mm -hmm. Eisler in Ohio. Eisler! I'm impossibly thankful and grateful for your friendship, and I can't express how much it has meant to me over the past few months, especially. You've been a voice of reason and a million other invaluable things, including my hockey godmother. You've been patient with my lack of knowledge and appreciative of my very Hufflepuff love of the refs. I must visit you again soon. This episode of Dear Hang John is brought to you by Thrive Market. Thrive Market is there to help you maintain the kinds of habits that you want to have. For me, I need to have the right kind of food in the house or I will eat whatever. Oreo recently sent me some free fancy Oreos. They were weird. I ate all of them. I ate all of them in a week and it was a problem. I can't do that. I need to have healthy, good stuff in the house and Thrive Market can help you have healthy habits. It's a great go-to for all your grocery and household essentials and the convenience of getting everything online and then like just quickly ship to the doorstep. It's a huge time saver. Thrive Market carries brands with great ingredients and sourcing methods. They got Amy's, Banza, Burt's Bees, Trobani, Honest Kids, Kind, Mike's Hot Honey, Oatly, Olipop, Poppy, Salt, 
I've never heard of salt, but it's got two A's in it, so it has to be good. And as a Thrive Market member, you can save money on every single grocery order. On average, you can save over 30% every time. And they also have a deals page that changes every day. When you join Thrive Market, you are also helping a family in need with their one-for-one membership matching program. You join, they give. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order, plus a $60 free gift. I enjoyed my $60 free gift. I was surprised by it, and it was the kind of thing I wouldn't have bought. And then now I'm like on the ghee train. They gave me free ghee. And I was like, I don't know what ghee is. But then I was like, oh, this is great. It's like butter, but it's different and more spreadable. <laughs> Go to thrivemarket.com slash dearhank for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash dearhank, thrivemarket.com slash dearhank. Have you hunting? Thank you, Emmy, for donating to the project for awesome. Oh, John. Hey, I just got back. You had, I had to run out for a sec to have some imitators. They're so good. Ugh. It was just like a tater tot, except not a tater tot. On the inside, there was something that wasn't potatoes. Who knows what it was? Science did it. But they were like a little less good than tater tots. Gretchen, mm-hmm. stop trying to make fetch happen. It is <laughs> not going to happen. My imitators are so fetch. Oh, Gretchen. This next question comes from Molly, who writes, Dear John and Hank, my dad's taking me to an all-day conference with movie industry people in August. It was a choice between that and an eight-day bike trip. Molly, your dad is trying to, like, do you a favor and offer you, like, two cool opportunities, and it's pretty clear to me (laughs) that you chose the one that you found less onerous, but still quite onerous. (laughs) My question is, what does one do at conferences? Is it okay to doodle in a notebook? Is it okay to hide my phone in a notebook and watch a movie? Is it okay to ask questions? Any dubious advice is welcome. Good golly, miss. Molly. Oh, man, I'm so jealous. I have done this several times for a ver- for variety of reasons. I've gone to conferences on topics I know nothing about, and I have invariably found it fascinating. I don't know how this keeps happening to me, but I get sucked in and I like I have to like spend all day at the thing. And I'm just like, I'm like, look at these people who are so into this thing I know nothing about. And you see sort of the inside of like how they like think and talk and, and like work problems out and they're frustrated by stuff and they're, they're like their problems are way different than the problems you thought that they had. And it might be like, you know, invasive species was one of the ones that I went to. I don't know how I got at this event. Or it might be like, you know, space exploration. Or it might just be like weird corporate boring stuff. Like, I I guess I sometimes get invited to these things to speak and then I'm sort of like, I guess I'll go to the events too. And I find it fascinating. I find it really weird. I think if you keep an open mind and you're like, I want to try to understand what these people's problems are, then it's like gives you a weird insight on the world that you would never, ever have any other way. And sometimes like those places like aren't really open to the public or if they are, they're really expensive. So like getting a chance to get in and have that perspective is unusual to get. Yeah, I went to an RV trade show once, like the nation's largest recreational vehicle trade show. Oh, God. And I loved every second of it. And by the way, by the end of it, I was pretty close to purchasing a recreational vehicle. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Jeez. It was only due to the, I would say, stringent intervention of my spouse that I did not purchase an RV on that day. Is that what happened? Because like two, three years ago, yeah. maybe a little more than that, yes. you got really into, you were like, we need a tour and a class C RV. And I was like, what's happening? That's exactly it. I want to get a class C RV. Yes. I want to tour the country with oh, you. God, in you were a so into class it. Class C recreational vehicle. We would have so much fun. But that's 
that's not the point, Molly. The point here is that you are going to a Hollywood conference, and based on what I can gather about you from your email, you are a young person. And so when you ask, like, <laughs> can I ask questions? Oh, it's more than okay if you ask questions, because the people at this conference, all they want in the world is to understand what you want, like the <laughs> thing that drives them day in and day out. Yeah. 100% of this conference's content is going to be geared around trying to understand you, Molly. And so if you, yeah. Molly, are actually there, it's like if an alien showed up to the Alien Studies UFO convention. I mean, you're going to be wildly popular. You got to say, every time anybody finishes an Q&A, starts, you got to get up to the mic and be like, just say, it's like you guys have never even seen TikTok. And then just walk out. <laughs> I was going to say that every time you have a chance to like offer an opinion, Molly, it would really be helpful to Hank and me if you could be like, have you guys seen the Vlogbrothers? Because I think that they're the most influential people among my demographic. <laughs> Who cares about Logan Paul? Like, Hank Green is the future. That's right. That's why I've worked so hard to build this body. Is Logan Paul still famous? Yeah, I saw him the other day on the internet. One of the side effects of not being on the social internet and also being middle-aged is that I no longer know who is and is not famous. And so all of my references are just, like, painfully dated, where I'll be <laughs> like, uh, you know who we should get to VidCon? The Baja men. Yeah, I mean, we still don't really know who let the dogs out. I, <laughs> I mean, how are the Baja men doing? How are they doing? Are they still in Baja? The second sentence of their Wikipedia page is they are best known for their Grammy award-winning hit song, Who Let the Dogs wow. Out, which I a would Grammy. argue is a poorly written sentence because it should be they are known exclusively for their Grammy award-winning hit song. Wait, I'm sorry. Hold up. Who Let the Dogs Out won a Grammy? Which yeah, Grammy? Yeah, this is, this is the bigger question that has been introduced by this sentence. What? what uh, how? I not, like, this has delegitimized the Grammys so much in my eyes that I no longer consider them a real Award. Just oh, that one it won, sentence. It won a Grammy Award in 2000 for Best Dance Recording, which surely okay. it wasn't. Yeah, I can't imagine that it was, but people did dance to it. You want to know something I have in common with the Baja Men? Oh, yes. Both winners of the Nickelodeon Kids' Choice Award. Wow. You guys should hang out. I would like to hang out. I don't know if they're uh, alive. <laughs> They don't know if you're alive, so that works out well. <laughs> oh, wait, there's a Hank, there's an update in April 2019. Ooh. This doesn't sound at all like this Wikipedia edit was written by a PR person. In April 2019, the Baja men surprised fans with an electrifying new anthem, Let's Go, dedicated to the teams playing in the final four. The upbeat song was available via Sony Music Entertainment. I mean, wow. That is not a Wikipedia edit. That is a <laughs> public relations move. Fans were shocked. <laughs> People <laughs> fell over. It was like the Beatles reunited, including <laughs> back from the grave George Harrison and John Lennon. It was that big to record an anthem for the teams playing in the final four of a of a sport match. <laughs> 
Is that basketball? Let's Go is full of so much energy and spirit, said Baja Men band leader Isaiah Taylor. I don't want to make fun of the Baja Men, Hank, because no. we are also on the other side of the mountain. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I like. I am so interested in the Baja Men, and this week in Ryan's is such a great opportunity to just, like think and talk about people who are like in the public eye, some, but not so much anymore. And mostly because I'm just looking for I'm just looking for people to give me some perspective on this situation. Yeah, Hank and I just want to know how to descend the other side of the mountain gracefully. Yeah, you got to draw your hot air balloon as you fall, like Harold does, and Harold and his purple crayon. It's very beautiful, Hank. It's a good book. I like it a lot. If you don't know Harold and the purple crayon, you should really get the new paperback turtles all the way down. (laughs) Seriously, Hank, most of the people who listen to the podcast have not read my hit fifth novel, Turtles All the Way Down, and it's available in paperback now for less than $14. Might be less than 15. All right, one more question, John, before we get to the all-important news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon. This is from Mark, who asks, Dear Hank John, I've always wondered whether or not it's possible to get one of my arms really ripped. I'm talking extremely jacked, noticeably jacked, Dwayne the Rock Johnson jacked, while the other is just, like, average-sized arm. If so, how do I go about making this dream a reality? The gospel according to Mark. Boy, Mark. Don't do it. (laughs) It's got to be possible, right? It's definitely possible, right? If you look at Punter's right legs, you'll know that it's possible. Punter's? To get one leg. Yeah, professional NFL punters and kickers have one leg that is really Mm. jacked and and a second leg that is still much more jacked than I am, but less (laughs) jacked than than the the big leg, the kicking leg. Wow. Mark, I'm sure that you could get one arm jacked, and Hank is going to tell you that it's a terrible idea. Mm -hmm. I think that you should do this and report back to us one year from today. Think about the difference a year can make in your life, Mark. Think about what you could accomplish in this year, in the next 365 days, And then instead of doing any of those things, (laughs) work out one arm, 90 minutes a day, no breaks. I'm not an exercise professional, but I'm pretty Mm. sure that you don't need to rest when you're only working out one arm. What I am legitimately curious, like, I think it would be interesting science to see if any muscle mass got added to the non-working arm just because your body is like, this seems weird. Like, we're not really 100% clear on how, like, the mechanism of, like, muscles getting bigger. Like, obviously, we know that it's like it it reacts to use. That's the sort of broadest understanding. But there's a lot of sort of pseudoscience around this stuff because, of course, people want to know how to get jacked. And and also, like, because we have a lot of open questions still. So part of me is very curious. Like, do you add any muscle mass to a non-working arm when, like, your body is working super hard? Probably not, but maybe. And that would be interesting for science to know. Part of me is curious how the Baja men won a Grammy award. Like, was there Uh, a campaign? Was somebody paid off? I don't like, I don't know how the Grammys work. Mostly, I'm just glad that people are coming to us for muscle advice. That's one thing that I know a lot about, Mark, as you can tell from observing me. Mm -hmm. So I wish you luck. John and I are in better shape now than we have been in our entire lives. It's true. I mean, I don't know if it's true for you, but it's definitely true for me. I just got Zwift. Do you know what Zwift is, Hank? Is it like... Like an imitation potato? No, it's a bicycling video game, but where you have to pedal an actual bicycle to go. Why don't you just pedal an actual bicycle? 
Well, because then I would have to go outside. But anyway, Hank, before we get to the news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon, I just have to tell you a couple of things that people wrote in about this week, including Amanda, who wrote in to say, Dear John and Hank, wait, soccer teams can borrow each other's players? How is that a thing? Would that be like if the Washington Nationals were down a position and could borrow a player from the Philadelphia Phillies? That seems crazy. Sorry, I'm a baseball fan, Amanda. Yeah, kinda. So yeah, I, I have like you talk about this all the time, like loan players, like getting a well, on loan, and I'm yeah. just like I sort of gloss over, and I'm like, sure, you know, I just I'll just borrow a human being from you. Well, you're not borrowing the person; you're borrowing their footballing services. But yes, so <laughs> sure, yeah. if a player yeah. is under contract with a team like Liverpool, but the player isn't good enough or mature enough to play for a big club like Liverpool. That player might be loaned out to a team in a lower league or even to a team in the same league that's, you know, not as as good so that that player can develop and can get some playing experience. Liverpool gets value for this because their player gets better at football and the team that the player is on loan at obviously gets a a lot of experience Mm -hmm. and also hopefully like wins games for that team. So it's kind of a win-win. The team that takes on a loan player usually pays at least part of their salary. But of course, you don't get like them under contract. And so you can't get a transfer fee for selling them to a different team. So it comes with advantages and disadvantages. However, it's not quite that the Washington Nationals like loan a player to the Philadelphia Phillies. Or I guess it is like that. But if and when you play the Philadelphia Phillies, the Players that are on loan from the Washington Nationals never play against their own team. Okay, right. It's always in the contract that they get, like, benched for those games. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. I thought maybe it was just, like, you had to do it to, like, a lower league or something. No, usually it is, but not always. You can't, you just can't sit down. Sit there (laughs) while you play this team. That's the rules. And and it's said in exactly that voice. That's how all contracts are written to me when I'm reading contracts. That's what they sound like. you're, You're not wrong. And now a response from Andrea, who bought a desk sword a few weeks ago. She says, just to support you uh, and your uh, spur-of-the-moment fundraiser for Partners in Health. It's been decades I've gotten along without any specific envelope-cutting device, I thought to myself. Surely this will be a cute artifact for my desk and not a significant improvement to my life. How wrong I was! Having a desk sword is a significant improvement, especially when I get those mylar padded envelopes that are glued shut with some sort of industrial level epoxy situation. I just zipped one open in a mere seconds with no drama or finding scissors at all. Desk swords forever, Andrea. John, we're making people's lives better all across the board. Really, just in that one way. But yes, I agree. Well, no, also in Partners in Health. Oh, right. You mean through supporting the healthcare system in Sierra Leone. That's true. That arguably (laughs) is the bigger deal. (laughs) Hank, what's the news from Mars this week? Uh, news from Mars this week, We they just finished a round of testing of the Mars-based helicopter that might actually travel with the Mars 2020 rover. They've done the test to show that it can be clamped onto the rover, that it will survive entry, and they have just finished a round of tests to determine if they can actually get a helicopter to fly on the surface of Mars, which is a unique challenge because when a f- helicopter flies or when any winged thing flies... You're relying on uh, sort of pushing around molecules of air, and there are not as many molecules of air on the surface of Mars. The atmospheric pressure is about 1% of what it is on Earth, so you just need a lot more wing moving a lot faster to get 
up off the ground. Now, this is additionally made complicated by the fact that you can't test it easily on Earth. You can create a vacuum chamber mm. that has 1% the atmospheric pressure of Earth, and you can try to fly something there. But you cannot make a vacuum chamber that has 40% Earth gravity on Earth. So you can make things heavier. That's fairly easy. It's very hard to make things lighter. You like you have the weight that they are. Like, how are you going to make something lighter? So they created this whole rigging system that pulls up consistently all the time, no matter how much the thing is pulling on itself. It pulls up on the device with the a force that makes the the thing weigh less than it does on Earth. So like functionally, the the helicopter that they're testing weighs less than it does using pulleys and stuff. And uh, and the thing, they tested it in a vacuum chamber and it flew up and it landed and it really works. And maybe they will have a little helicopter that will fly around on Mars and it will scout ahead so that we can see uh, good paths for the 2020 rover to take across the surface of the red planet. Is it more like a little helicopter or is it more like a drone? Uh, well, it's definitely a drone, but it's not like the drones that we tend to see, the, the, like the four bladed ones. Mm -hmm. So instead, it has two blades that are stacked on top of each other that spin in opposite directions, which gets rid of the like spinning that would happen if you had only one going in one direction. Mm. Normal helicopters solve that problem by having the little blade in the back, which right. prevents them from starting to spin. So it has that on top, two blades on top. And I think that that's just because it's more weight efficient to have fewer blades. But this isn't like a helicopter that could transport a person. No, it's going to weigh like four pounds or something. So it, uh, only a very small person. <laughs> not even a, they could not carry a giant African land snail, John. <laughs> <laughs> well, the last thing we need to do is introduce giant African land snails to Mars based on what I've learned about them. Yeah, Mars will get meningitis. Well, the news from AFC Wimbledon is that AFC Wimbledon are in the initial stages of launching their crowdfunding campaign to support the building of the new stadium. But it's a little wow. different from a typical crowdfunding campaign, Hank, because instead of like getting perks or whatever in exchange for your donation, you do uh, get perks. Mm -hmm. But more importantly, you own a piece of the club. They are actually selling shares in the club. Now, the club will still be more than 75% owned by the fans, by the Don's Trust. But anyone, if you're in the UK, can participate in this uh, by buying what are essentially parts of the club. And if the club makes it up to the championship, the second tier of English football, there will be a dividend paid that's three times the initial investment. If it makes it to the Premier League, the dividend is five times the initial investment. It's a really interesting model. Hank, this is something that we've talked a lot about in private, this idea of mm -hmm. having kind of small, closely held organizations that are deeply enmeshed with their communities, somehow owned by those communities. And AFC Wimbledon is doing that with their new stadium. And I think it's really interesting. So you actually can get a return on your investment in this situation. Yeah, exactly. It's, it, it's not guaranteed, certainly. No investment opportunity is. But it's a really interesting model, and huh. it could be profitable. Weird. That's not how it usually works. No, I, I dig it, though. Like This is something that we're seeing more of small companies or small organizations raising capital without trying to do kind of mini IPOs through these kind of crowdfunding 
investment sources. And I don't know. I think it's really interesting. It's a lot of work. And that's the reason why Hank and I have always kind of shied away from it, even though we're attracted to the idea philosophically of Nerdfighteria owning Nerdfighteria, for lack of a better term. But in the end, the thing that we've kind of transitioned toward is, you know, partners in health owning Mm -hmm. the economic outcome of Nerdfighteria. John, thank you for potting with me. Uh, It's been a pleasure. Thank you. We're off to record our Patreon-only podcast this week in Ryan's. You can go to our Patreon at patreon.com slash Hank and John, where we'll post some pictures of some very big snails and also a diagram of how the poop works. (laughs) I love it. This podcast is edited by Joseph Tuna Medish. It's produced by Rosiana Halls-Rojas and Sheridan Gibson. Our head of community and communications is Victoria Bongiorno. The music that you're hearing now and at the beginning of the podcast is by the great Gunnarola and as they say in our hometown don't don't forget forget to be be awesome. awesome